Hello, Westover, and the Lord bless you. Thank you for joining us, whether you're here in the room on our online community. We're honored that you're a part of this service. If you have the Westover app, I invite you to open it. We have our notes and scriptures there. If you have your Bible, join me in Galatians chapter number 5. And we're going to be talking today about serving together. We've opened this series, and I'm actually closing the series out this weekend, but we opened the series talking about connecting together. When we connect together, it, it enriches our life. When we grow together, it strengthens our life. When we serve together, we find purpose in life. And God intends that every believer, every Christ follower, know God's purpose and live out God's purpose in their life. For you see, saved people serve. We've been redeemed by God. And God intends that we serve that our life be an example and expression of His grace and love. Now, in the room, I'm talking to probably primarily two generations. That's boomers and millennials. Boomers, boomers, we've lived for self. Everything was about self. It was getting more, having more. We invented the phrase, boomers, keep up with the Joneses. And we found out later on the Joneses were, were, were not worth keeping up with. And we pushed ourselves in credit card debt and trying to have and do because boomers tend to live for self. Millennials, millennials, uh, they have a sense of entitlement. And, and their focus is a choice. Boomers want a cause. You ask a boomer to do something, and they want to know what the gold is, what they're, what's going to be accomplished. Boomers, we have to have a cause. Millennials, you want choices. God intends that both generations come together and adapt the kingdom mentality, which is to serve, to serve. So I'm going to invite you to go with me in the book of Galatians chapter number 5. Verse number 13 and following. And let's see what the Bible teaches us about serving. Verse number 13. You, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. You didn't stumble on it. You didn't just happen to find it. You were called by God to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. But rather serve one another humbly in love. You see, our freedom, our making new moments, salvation doesn't come to us so we can just go on and live the life we want and indulge our pleasures, but rather find God's purpose. Serve, humbly serve one another in love. Verse number 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. One command and all of the law is kept in this one command. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Then verse number 15, it's almost like the Holy Spirit knew they were going to invent Twitter. So he gave us this verse right here. <laughs> if you bite and devour each other, watch out. You will be destroyed by each other. And these verses are talking to us about serving the importance as believers Millennial and boomers to come kind of lose our own style and develop a kingdom style, a kingdom mentality. And there are many people in the body of Christ today, in churches across America, unfortunately, they have a church home, but they're unactive. 
I mean, they go. You, somebody asks them, do you have a church home? Oh, I go to that church over there, and they'll name it. But they, they just kind of go. They, they, they don't really belong. They just go. They go when it's convenient, when life is stressed or problems going on. They go to warm their heart and have a, have a, have a warm connection moment on the inside. But they are in a category I'm going to call unactive. Why are so many believers in the church world today in America unactive? One reason I believe is because feelings that they're unqualified, the feeling of being unqualified. Oh, I, I, I don't understand all the Bible. never read the whole Bible through. I don't understand a lot about faith. I, I don't know that I could do something. I don't know that I, I have the ability. And we often feel unqualified. Number two reason is pe- people are living in chains instead of living out change. We live in our mess. This is the day in the church world in America today where you don't have to change your life. You just bring your change to church, your, your lifestyle, your, your, your problems, your debris, your hang-ups, your dysfunctions, all the, all the junk and the stuff and the debris of our life. We just hold on to it. And too many believers today are in chains, depressed, upset, have anger issues, uh, have, have dysfunctional relationships, holding on and staying in that instead of living out the change that God has. The Bible says we are free, but don't use our freedom on ourselves. We are free so that we can express God's love and humbly serve one another. Don't live in your change. Live out change that God has. Number three reason perhaps is sympathy today in the church is substituting for action. Yeah. Oh, I, oh, I, I, my, my heart is, feels for them. You're going to be in my prayers. My heart feels for that. But we don't go beyond just feeling sympathy for a need, sympathy for a situation. It doesn't move into action. And, and I'm going to give us a fourth reason, a fourth reason. So many people are unactive today. And that is we have too many low-commitment churches producing no-commitment Christians. I didn't expect to get an amen to that one, honestly. I, 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 I put it out. I haven't got an amen in any service this weekend. But I'm, I'm going to repeat it. In the church world today, I go, to, I go to conferences for pastors, and they tell us, don't make people feel uncomfortable. Don't say anything. And d- d- don't use the word sin. That makes so many people feel uncomfortable. They're telling us, don't take offerings because that makes people feel uncomfortable. Don't give altar calls because that makes people feel uncomfortable. Well, we're not in the business of making people feel uncomfortable. We want to lead people to heaven. Can I tell you? We want to lead people to heaven. And the transformation of Jesus requires a commitment from us. And I will just tell you, Westover, we're a high-commitment church. I'm going to always be saying, you need to do more for God. You need to live better. You need to walk straighter. God has a higher purpose for every one of us. And we cannot get caught in the American church culture of low commitment because God has something better for us. So I'm going to use the word Scripture uses. I'm going to use I have an invite. I have an invitation, I have a summons, I have a call, I I have something I want to put on every Westover Hills person's heart today. And I'm going to use the Bible word, I want to put a call on your heart. You've been called, you've been called, not into brokenness, 
You've been called not to live aimless. You've been called. God has something better, more. God has a fantastic making great light for you. And he calls you. You have that. You sense that call. It awakens in you. And sometimes you say, it has to be better. I believe God wants more for me. God has something better for me. You're right. You've been called to a better life. There's a calling upon your heart. And I want to share with this very quickly three thoughts. Three thoughts about this calling. Three ways that we can live out this calling. Number one, the Bible tells us that we are to love unconditionally. We are to love unconditionally. Look what Jesus said in the Gospel of John chapter number 13, verse 34 and 35. This is Jesus talking. He said, a new commandment I give you. You've got to love one another as I've loved you. You must love one another. And he said, by this, this love, will everybody know that you're a follower of Jesus? Two words in those verses, command and must. They're not optional. They're not optional. It's a command. And Jesus said, you must love one another. The scripture, Jesus is telling us, we must show, we must live out unconditional love. There is a calling to live unconditional love. In in our culture today, we have transactional relationships. Transactional. In other words, I give you, you give me. I give you eight hours work, you give me eight hours pay. It's that. I go and I give you money, I get the product. It's transactional. Everything is, you be nice to me, I'll be nice to you. If you do certain things, I will befriend you. I'll be your friend if... And if you quit doing those things, then I will no longer be your friend. Transactional relationship says this. I will do what I could when you do what you should. That's, that's how relationships function in America today. And unfortunately, there are many marriages that way. Many. Only when you do, when you do, when you do, when you do. Well, I do, I do, and I do. That's the deadlock of wedlock. You're going to get caught into it. And it's unproductive. Transactional relationships, transactional love. The Bible calls us to unconditional love. It's different. You don't have to treat me nice. I'm to love you. You don't have to be nice to me. I am to love you. The Bible calls every Christ follower meet you there is a calling upon our life and our workplace and our family and our marriages and our home unconditional love that takes it further love goes further love gives more love gives all that's what the bible teaches us and god is saying if we are going to serve him if we're going to be his example we've got to humbly serve one another in that unconditional love a few years ago, just a few years ago, Denise and I had the privilege of doing ministry at Angola Prison in Louisiana. We got on a plane, Southwest plane. We flew to Baton Rouge, got off the plane. We were going to be there for three days of ministry on the uh, compound of Angola Prison in Louisiana. We took an automobile ride of about an hour and 20 minutes to the prison. You get there, the gates open. You go through, gates behind you close. You wait for the next gates to open, and the gates will open. You have to show your ID. Every place, every cell block we went into, we would step up, we'd hear that, 
the bars would open, we would step in, the little antechamber, the bars would close behind us, and then another set of bars. We went up and down. We were in three days of ministry on Angola Prison. Let me tell you about Angola Prison. There are over 7,000 inmates in Angola Prison. There is not a prisoner with less than 40 years sentence on Angola Prison. Yes, these are not minor infractions. This is not the county jail because somebody was a little rowdy. They have committed a crime that they have at least 40 years they're going to serve, 40 years before parole. This, this is a, a, a different crowd. This is a, these, are, these are persons that have some history and have, have had some issues in the past. We're doing ministry there. We walked up and down the cell block. We ministered here. We prayed for I did teachings in the day. We would go into classrooms, and there are believers there. The uh, prisoners have come to Jesus, and we would share with them. I met a guy there that grew up uh, with some of the basketball players that used to play on, on the San Antonio Spurs. And, and uh, I, I talked to this person, and this person told me, I, I met a person that used to be in the mafia there. And we, we were just ministering all, all to different people in Angola prison. One particular night, I went to a chapel there. I was speaking in the chapel service. I was there in a, in a prison service. All the, all the musicians, they're prisoners. All, all the praise worshipers, they're prisoners. If there's anything to pass out and distribute to uh, the, the audience, the prisoner audience, it's prisoners. The whole, the whole uh, congregation is prisoners. There's not even any guards in this room. We're just having ministry and praying. Had a wonderful time of ministry that evening and it was all said and done the service was over i'd prayed for some prisoners there's one man who walked down and he came up and he spoke to me and he said you pastor a church in san antonio don't you i said yes i do he said i've been in your church he said i've been in your church and i said you've been in my church yeah west over hills assembly of god he said i was there and he began to tell the story and I was leaning into the story and the details, and all of a sudden I realized, yes, he had. It went back some 20 years before that. It was before we had this auditorium. It was when the student center next door was the only building we had, and that was our auditorium. And I went back, and all of a sudden I remembered him. It was in the early 90s. I remember him coming in and being in the back, and he would be in service, and he would stand there. And I had greeted him a time or two. He seemed unfriendly to me. He seemed like he was unresponsive. He seemed like that uh, he wanted to be by himself, so I obliged and I left him alone. I thought, I guess he doesn't like us and he doesn't like the church and, you know, I'll just, I'll just spend my time and my energy on somebody else. And that's exactly what I do. And a few months went by, a few weeks went by, and I never saw him again. And he was standing in front of me and he said, I have been at your church. And then, and then he told me, he told me something. He said, I was messed up then. He said, I, I was so confused and so angry. When I was at your church, I was there in a season of my, my life. My wife and my child had been, been killed in a drunken driving accident, had been hit by a drunken driver. And I was struggling getting over that. I don't know what happened. I don't know all the events of that that caused and set him on a pathway, but now he's in Angola prison. No one's there with at least 40 years and a sentence that they have to deal with. 
when I heard that, I'll, be tell, I'll tell you, my heart broke and I had to repent before God. I, I, I had failed the test. I will tell you, I failed the test. I didn't know what he was going in, but I didn't take time to reach out the second and third time. I tried to reach out and he seemed unfriendly, so I obliged it and I just left him alone. I, I failed the test. I, I, I should have reached out. I should have responded with, with unconditional love. And I told God and I've said many times since, oh Lord, forgive me and I will never let that happen again. God, I will never ignore somebody. The phone call comes, God, if I'm able, I'm going to respond. Never again will I be in a position because I never know what they're going through. You see, God's called us to unconditional love. Unconditional love. We can use love to change the world. There's an audio clip they're going to play right now. It's in the voice. It's, it's, the audio is not real good quality, but it's in the voice of Martin Luther King Jr. I could, I could, tell, I could tell you the words he's, he's going to use. It's just a very clip, short clip, but I want you to hear it. In his own voice, there's a phrase he uses. I want you to hear, please play it. We still advocate nonviolence and passive resistance and still uh, determined to use the weapon of love. I love that phrase. The weapon of love. Martin Luther King Jr. transformed America. We were, at that particular time, there was conflict and there was division and there was prejudice and there, was, there were all kinds of ungodly and healthy attitudes in America. And he used the weapon of love to transform America. Oh, to God we would learn that today and not use Twitter and hate and hostility and not use the demagoguery. Let us as people of faith stand up and say we're going to win the world. We're going to be different because we're going to use the weapon of love Jesus called us to use unconditional love Martin Luther King called it appropriately the weapon of love number two number two not only to love unconditionally but to serve wholeheartedly to serve wholeheartedly verse number 13 my brothers and sisters you were called to be free You've been called. What are we called to? To humbly serve out of love. To humbly serve. To serve wholeheartedly. Can I remind us? We're followers of Christ. And every one of us, every one of us, every one of us, we're called to serve, but do it wholeheartedly. Some of us say, I'm not qualified, I'm not good enough, I, I, I don't have everything together. Can I tell you, God made no mistake when he chose you, and you're God's first choice. <laughs> you're God's first choice. Yes, you're God's first choice. You say, but there are issues and problems and weakness and failures in my life. I even, I even go back, I made a mistake in that marriage, and that marriage fell, and I, I did this, and I, I lost, and I, I should have done, and, and, and I have this in my past. Can I tell you what God does? God uses the mistakes and the pain of our past. And the sorrows of our past become solutions for others. God uses our pain to minister to others and we give them hope. We serve wholeheartedly. May I encourage you, somebody's choice concerning you does not cancel God's choice in choosing you. 
Amen. Oh, God didn't look at your GPA. God didn't call the HR department. He doesn't check how many likes and how many friends you have on, on Facebook. God, it doesn't matter what other. God, God chooses you. God has something for you. God didn't make a mistake with you. And God says for every one of us, we have the opportunity to serve wholeheartedly. To serve wholeheartedly. What we do for God deserves our very best. God uses our pain. God uses our mistakes. God uses our weakness for His glory. It was just a few years ago, just a couple of years ago, it was after a Sunday morning service, a lady came forward, and I stepped off the platform, and I stepped down to talk to her. She said, you probably don't recognize me, and I did not recognize her. She said, I came to this church several years ago. I said, oh, really? She gave me her name, and her name did not ring a bell right then. But she began to unpack the story. And as she unpacked the story, I remembered her. I remembered her. She was a way too innocent 15-year-old. I remember a sweet little girl, way too innocent. They were in a church. She heard the sweet whispers of a boyfriend in her ear. She succumbed to his invitation and she got pregnant. The moment she got pregnant... He didn't want to have anything to do with her anymore. He went on her way, dropped her. She felt humiliated, felt ashamed. The family felt ashamed, and they felt like they just couldn't stay in their, their church. They were just saying, oh, I, I, we just can't face people. So they started attending Westover. I remember when the family came and sat in my office, and they shared the story. And I, I prayed with the family in my office and extended my heart to the little girl. And we just said, our job right here is to restore you. Our job is to just demonstrate the grace and the love of God and let you know God has a plan and a purpose for you. And I told her, sweetheart, God has not given up on you. She went on to tell me, do you remember when you took me out for ice cream? And I remembered, I remembered. My girls were smaller then, and I had called her mother on the phone, and I said, I said, I'm taking my daughters for ice cream. Can I come by and pick up your daughter and take her to ice cream with us? And the, her, the mother said yes. So I loaded up my girls, and I went by and I picked her up, and we went to an ice cream shop in San Antonio, Swinson's Ice Cream. How do you remember Swinson's Ice Cream when it used to be in San Antonio? And I remember she was telling the story, and I recall it. I remember so clearly the, the, the moment... Uh, we were sitting there, and the, and my girls were on this side of me, and the, 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 the 15-year-old was across the table. And I said, now listen, because I know my girls. I said, I don't want you spilling this. I want you to take care of this. And I reached over and talked, and I was kind of scolding the kids, and I turned around, and my elbow hit my chocolate shake, and I dumped it right in my lap. As I was telling my girls to not spill... I spilled my ice cream right in my lap. They laughed. We had a good time. And she said, you remember when you took me to ice cream? I said, yes, I do. I sure do. She wanted to tell me. She came by. I don't even know if she lives in San Antonio, but she came by. She said, I just want you to know I'm serving the Lord. I'm married. I married a wonderful Christian man. He is, he, we have a wonderful family. And she said, I just had to come tell you, you meant so much. You took me to ice cream. You took me out when I felt like I was a nobody and everybody was looking down. You took time to take me for ice cream. And that meant so much to me. 
Can I tell you, we can serve wholeheartedly. It may be giving ice cream. Yes. It, 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 it could be in our sports ministry. Our sports ministry at Westover. Oh my goodness, it's becoming the greatest outreach ministry. We are, we're, we're making a difference in, in students' lives. We have students, we have kids that play recently in our soccer clinic. Some of these parents, they don't even attend the church, but they heard about it. And they signed their kids up. And they told us when the soccer clinic was over, we want our kids to play on your team. Your coaches, your people, that you treat our kids different. There's something about our kids playing there. I remember <coughs> back, a mother who attends a Catholic church wrote me a letter. And she said, I just want to thank you. My son played he, when he was going to Warren High School. He was never good enough. The coach would never, he was never allowed to play. But he came and played on one of your teams. And guess what? They won the tournament. And my son, before he graduated, was able to play basketball. And he was able to be a winner. And your church gave that gift to my son. And she thanked me and she went on to say, please continue to do that. Our sports ministry is having an impact. How about being a coach? Taking time with these, these students and these kids. How about kids ministry? Perhaps the most important ministry we have on this campus right now. We have... Uh, preschool and elementary where those kids are singing those kids have puppets and animation life-size uh, characters that are that are back there and people are serving and and making the experience for your kids meaningful and significant we have 400 of your kids signed up for the Christmas program. And in a few weeks, they're going to be on this platform. And you're going to see them uh, uh, telling the Christmas story through, through their, their own personality and their little costumes. Oh, that's wonderful. How about there? How about first impression and welcome team? Probably when you came on campus today. Somebody opened a door for you, spoke to you, gave you a brochure, helped you in some way. They may even had a red t-shirt on. These are people that serve in this ministry. And can I tell you, you can minister in a smile. You can minister in a smile. We serve wholeheartedly. I want the story of one family at Westover. I want you to hear their story. They came to the church, but it wasn't until they got connected in the ministry it made a difference in their life. Please, the video. It took me seven years to get connected. I was coming to receive, um, but I wanted to remain anonymous in the church. I, it took a long time. I've attended Westover Hills for almost 10 years now. Um, I was connected with initially the music ministry. So coming on board with Westover, I was uh, welcomed into the music ministry. I was scared for me personally. I think for my husband was a little bit different. This was his calling, you know, music was his calling. And I felt like I didn't know enough yet. And so I had to... Um, I. I just felt like I needed to learn more. Um, I didn't. Uh, spiritually, I felt like I still had not grown in those seven years. Once I got connected, it really felt like family. And I felt like 
I can tell these ladies anything. I can call them, I can tell them. I'm so open with them. The friendships that I have developed with them have been remarkable. I can email them, I can call them to watch my children. I missed all of that for seven years. I feel like my children see us connected and they just want more. Because of that, my daughter just craves to be at church. She craves to be around people. She craves to want to do more. My son, you know, shares the same interest. Uh, he's always had the passion of being a musician uh, from school and learning an instrument. And that's something that I've always encouraged and mom's always encouraged as well. Now seeing my whole family connected, you know, it, it's a great testimony and, and I'm proud um, that of my children and my wife and myself that we, we've been able to, uh, to create that environment and see them um, develop those additional friendships and to be connected as well. How important it is to get connected. And let me just share, twice a month, twice a month, the second and fourth Sundays of each month. In fact, we have it even this weekend. We have what we call our Next Steps class. And the Next Steps class is designed from 9 o'clock till noon that day, is to help you immediately on that day get connected. In the Next Step class, you're going to hear about our heart, our values, you're going to hear about our mission statement. We're going to share with you ways that you can find a life group, ways that you can get connected to a ministry because we know connection strengthens everything in your life. And we want you to serve. We want you to be used of the Lord and serve with, with love and be able to make a difference in other people's hearts and lives. And last, I shared with you point number three. We are to share generously. Share generously. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 11 says, But you will be enriched in every way, so you can be generous on every occasion. And through generosity, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. What is he saying? If you're going to do something for God, do it generously. Can I, can I tell you there are so many ways we can be generous that it doesn't even involve money. If you're going to go to work tomorrow, if you're going to smile, give a generous smile. Don't give a nod. Be generous in your smile. Yes. There is somebody you work with. They're what I, I'm going to refer to as an irregular person in your life. That translates in they get under your skin. They irritate you, okay? They're an irregular person in your life. You avoid them. You give them the, the grit your teeth smile. I'm going to invite you when you go to work tomorrow that you shower generosity and kindness to them speak to them ask them about their family ask them about their weekend when you stop and pick you, your taco up in the morning through the drive-thru pick them one up yes be generous you probably in a little bit you're going to go out to eat when you go out to eat there's going to be somebody that's going to serve your table be generous with your tip yes be generous because if it's a lady, it's probably either a student or a single mom. And your generosity can shower into their life. We should be generous on every occasion. Generous with our smile. Generous with our compliment. 
There's another way you can be generous. And we all do this, okay? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to. If you're guilty of this, just kind of just move your eyebrows up and down, okay? <laughs> Did you ever go and you, to a restaurant door and you open it up? And coming is another family, and you have that pause moment. But if I open the door for them, they'll get their name on the list before us. <laughs> if you're guilty, let's say, there is facial aerobics going on right now. Everybody's guilty, okay? We all do that. I, I'm saying in every aspect of life, let's share generously. Let's be generous in every way. Educators, wow. We have educators in this church that can make more money doing something else but they, they want to make a difference. I prayed with an educator on the altar last night. Educators, wow, you're life changers. You're world changers. You're, you're making a difference. You can make more money doing something else, but we need you in educate. We need you as a teacher. We, we, we need you as a coach. We need you where you're at. And thank you for your service. Your whole career is a statement of generosity. We love you, and you're, you're special. I am going to invite us. Let's be like Jesus. Let's, let's love unconditionally. Yes. Let's serve wholeheartedly. Let's share generously. With that in mind, would you stand together with me? In just a moment, you're going to walk out I want you to take this, th this truth and this admonishment in your heart, whether it's to the restaurant, to work tomorrow, to your family. Let's demonstrate Jesus to others. If you're needing and wanting to be connected, we so want to get you connected in a life group and a ministry group. We invite you to be a part of our Next Step class, the, the second and fourth Sundays of every month. We want to include you. We want to see God's best in your life. And I just speak God's goodness and God's blessing on you. Father, in the name of Jesus, these gracious and wonderful people, that you are speaking to them and you're growing them. Father, we want to see them serving you, their life demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ by touching others. Enrich their life in every way so that on every occasion, they can be generous. I bless them in the name of the Lord. Amen. God bless you. Go in the love of Jesus. <laughs>